you have questions? Do you need answers? The Pastor Study will help you find those answers through God's Word. Our teacher today is Pastor Tom Brock. The Pastor Study is sponsored by pastorstudy.org. So grab your Bible and join us for The Pastor Study. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. In this program, we're going to talk about two great gospel words, redemption and adoption. You've probably heard many times Jesus is our redeemer, but you know what the word redeem means. It's a glorious word, as is the word adoption, and we'll learn how, as Christians now, we've been redeemed and adopted. If you would, take out your Bible turn in the New Testament to the book of Galatians chapter 4 and what I'm going to do in this half hour is just phrase by phrase walk you through one verse Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 so get your Bibles open and let's pray Father we pray now that you would open the ears and the hearts of everyone listening open my mouth and Lord speak to us now about the glories of our redemption we pray in the name of our Redeemer Amen Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes this to the Christians at Galatia. But when the fullness of time had come, let's stop there. In other words, when everything was just right, when the fullness of time had come, meaning when the Old Testament had done its job of showing us that we're sinners and we need a Redeemer, uh, some scholars think we also add, and when the Roman Empire had done its job of making paved roads go all through the uh, empire, a common language all through the empire, when it was just right for the gospel to, to really be spread all over the empire, when the fullness of time had come, when everything was just right, next phrase, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Notice, it doesn't say God created his son, it says God sent forth his son, implying Christ's preexistence. Yesterday, the Jehovah's Witnesses were going through my neighborhood, and when I see them, I stop and I pray, Oh Lord, open their eyes, because they carry a false gospel. And I pray, may they be influenced upon and not influencing, because the Jehovah's Witness don't have the real Jesus. They believe Jesus is a creature, that Jesus is not God, Jesus is not eternal, but at a point in time, God the Father created Jesus. That's not what this verse teaches. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the Son. The Son's always existed. The Bible teaches there's one God. In God are three equal and eternal persons. God the Father who made us. God the Son who died for us. God the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. But um, uh, Jesus is eternally God with the Father and the Spirit. And, and if the Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door, it's kind of easy. Remember three things. John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, you've got God the Father calling Jesus God in Hebrews chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 says all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. So, 
When the fullness of time had come, everything was just right politically, spiritually. God sent forth, didn't create, the eternal God the Father sent forth the eternal God the Son. Next words, born of a woman. In other words, the Virgin Mary. The way God decided to visit our planet was he became a human, went through the normal birth process, and was born on earth. Born of a woman, next words, he, Jesus, was born under the law. What does that mean? It means that Jesus was born a little Jewish boy. He was born under the Jewish law. He was under Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, the food laws, the sacrificial laws, the ser all the Old Testament laws. Jesus was born under that. Next words. He was born under the law. Why? So that he might redeem those who were under the law. In other words, that teaches you were under the law too, and so was I. If you were a Jew, you were under the Old Testament laws, the Ten Commandments. If you were a non-Jew, you still were under the law of God, whether you knew it or not, because Romans chapter 2 says God writes his law on all of our hearts. So if you've never heard of God, you're still under the law because he's put his law in your heart. Everybody knows deep down right and wrong. But the problem is, We've all broken God's law. We've sinned against God's law. The Jews sinned against the Ten Commandments. Unbelievers that didn't know God still sinned against God because they broke the law he wrote in their heart, which means we need a redeemer. <laughs> and that's the, that's the first great gospel word. It says that he might redeem those who were under the law. Let me explain the glorious word, redemption. Many of the people that would have heard this letter read in Galatia, in the first century would have been Roman slaves. Slavery was everywhere in the empire. Many, many people, perhaps a majority of the people who were the first Christians were slaves. And when they heard the word redeemer, their ears would have pricked up because every slave was dreaming for the day of a redeemer. Redeemer meaning now and then, didn't happen very often, a man would come to your master pay your price that he paid for you and redeem you and buy you out of slavery and make you a free man. That's what redeem means. Literally, it means to pay a price to set a slave free. That's what Jesus did for us. You and I were slaves to sin, and Jesus comes along on the cross. He pays our sin debt. He takes the punishment for our sins so we could be forgiven and set free. Let me tell you a story to explain the word redemption. Once upon a time in a land far away lived good King Schimmel. He was a good king, but his kingdom was very corrupt. There was bribery in the courts, crime in the streets. So the good king wanted to purify his kingdom, and he issued an edict. Starting January 1st, anyone caught in the act of bribery will publicly be taken to the whipping post and on the bare back given a hundred lashes of the whip. The law is posted all over the land. January 1st comes. Suddenly, there's no bribery in the courts. There's no crime in the streets. And for about three weeks, peace prevailed in his land. But at the end of the third week, the first person was caught bribing a judge, and it was Schimmel's own mother. And the kingdom wondered, will he let justice be done? or show favoritism. And this agonized the king for three days. He stayed in his castle. What do I do? But if I don't enforce the law, there won't be peace anymore. So finally, at the end of three days, he sent out the decision, take her to the post. With the whole kingdom in attendance, 
King Schimmel himself in the front row. They led his elderly mother to the post. They tied her hands. They ripped the clothing off her back. The executioner took the whip, struck her once, twice, three times, and on the third lash, the king jumped up, stop. He runs up, unties his mother's hands, puts her to the side. He rips the shirt off his own back, puts his hand to the wood and says, I will pay the rest. And with everyone watching, he bore 97 lashes of the whip and his mother went home free. That's what Jesus did for you and I. Follow this. You and I are sinners. We deserve to be punished for our sins. And God has to punish sin if he's going to remain a holy, righteous God. But God loved us so much, he didn't want to send us to hell. So God became a human being, lived the perfect life that we couldn't, so that when he went to the cross, since he had no sins of his own, he could pay for our sins. He took not 97, he took all 100 lashes of the whip. Jesus paid our full sin debt. He said, it is finished on the cross. And if you believe in him, your sins are forgiven, and you get to go home someday. Precious word is the word redeemer. Jesus has paid our debt so we can be free. Next words. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Why? So that we might receive, next word, adoption as sons. The second great gospel word, first is redemption, but the second word that's just as beautiful is the word adoption. Let me explain Christian adoption. Do you know that you and I did not start out as children of God? Sometimes you hear people say, oh, everybody's a child of God. No, we're not. We're all creatures of God. God made all of us, but we're not all God's children. In fact, the Bible teaches we started out as children of God's wrath. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, we were by nature children of God's wrath. And Jesus calls the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. So the way we start out in life, because we're sinners, we're evil, we're children of the devil, we're children of God's wrath. So if we're going to be, become God's children, there has to be an adoption that takes place. And that's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. He was getting us away from our sin, adopting us into a new kingdom. Let me tell you one more story. And this is a true story. The year was about 1900. A little nine-year-old boy dressed in rags by the name of Lucky was selling newspapers in downtown Chicago. He was an orphan, and the way he made his living was by selling newspapers. One day he wandered away from downtown Chicago and found himself standing in a beautiful, wealthy suburb. And he's standing in front of this huge green lawn, and at the top of the lawn is a huge Chicago mansion. And he thinks, oh, would I like to live in a house like that? And before he knew what happened, he was on the lawn walking toward the door, and he rings the doorbell. A very distinguished gentleman answers, Yes, son? Well, mister, do you have a little boy? Why, no, son, Mrs. Lowry and I, we can't have children. Oh, I don't have a father. And oh, would I like to live in a house like this and, and play on a big lawn like this with no one to drive me away? And, and he reached down to his pocket and he said, you know, here are 10 pennies. 
this is all the money I have in the world, but why don't you take it, and I'll come be your little boy, and you can be my father, and I can live in this house? Well, the, the man calls upstairs, Honey, come down here, please. I want you to see something. A very queenly woman descended the stairs, yes. Well, do you see this little boy? He wants to become our son. <laughs> what do you think? Story goes, they brought the little boy into their house and fell in love with him. That week, they took him down to the county courthouse, adopted him as their own son. They got rid of his rags. They gave him a bath, uh, gave him a new set of clothes, raised him as their own son, gave him the best education in Chicago. And that little boy on the porch went on to become a leading surgeon of Chicago, Dr. Lucas Lowry. And do you know that if you are a believer in Christ, that happened to you. Follow this. You and I were grimy, dirty, miserable sinners standing before God, and he opened the door and said, I will take you in. And he washed you of all your sins. He gave you a new set of clothes. It's called the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Do you know that when God looks at you, he sees 33 years of perfection because he's washed your sins away, and he's clothed you in Jesus' perfect life when he was on earth? And so one day, you and I will get to go into the mansion for eternity. <laughs> Let's put it all together. Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time had come, when the Old Testament had done its work of showing us that we're sinners in need of a Savior, when the Roman roads were established, when the fullness of time had come and everything was just right, God sent forth His Son, didn't create His Son, God sent forth the Eternal Son, born of a woman, Virgin Mary, born under the law, a little Jewish boy, in order that He might redeem, pay the price for those of us who are under the law so that we might receive adoption. One last point. I want to show you a picture here from Michelangelo's The Last Judgment. I, it's a huge picture of Jesus coming down in the clouds to end the world and the dead are raised. This is the lost. And this man to me is the scariest part of the huge picture. Look at the look on his face. He's just discovered on Judgment Day that he's damned for eternity and the demons are pulling him down into hell. And, and, and here's my question for you. I don't want you to look like that when you die. I don't want you when Christ returns to, to discover I'm damned and I need a redeemer. I want you to know now that you're a sinner, that you need a redeemer. And if you don't know for sure if you're redeemed, you don't know that you're going to go into that mansion for eternity, I want you to do this. Take some time and be alone with God and talk to God about your sins. Ask him to forgive your sins and then say something like this, Lord God, I know I am a sinner. I need a redeemer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sins and take control of my life. And the Bible promises if you receive Christ and trust in him, you're getting into that mansion. And then so pray that and then find a good church and go to church every Sunday so you can continue to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, you just said that Jesus was sent forth from God, not created by God. Right. Right? So I guess who precisely is Jesus and what do the cults believe okay. Jesus you know, Jackie, yes. it's easy to spot a cult because they always get the Trinity wrong. 
Every Christian church believes there's only one God, but in God are three equal eternal persons. God the Father who made us, God the Son who died for us, and God the Holy Spirit who lives inside of believers. I'll tell you what happened an hour ago right here at the studio. There, there was an African man who was a preacher and he was taping his TV show here. And I said, where are you from? And he told me, I said, uh, what, what denomination are you? We're, we're non-denominational. And I said, do you believe in the Trinity? Well, we believe in more than the Trinity. We believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are God, but you're God and I'm God too. I said, no, we're not. And you can tell a cult because they play with the Trinity. For instance, the Mormons believe in thousands of gods. And if you're a good Mormon, you can become a god and have a, a planet full of people worship you. The god that we worship, according to the Mormons, didn't used to be god, and he became god on another planet. And, and to them we say, the Bible says, from everlasting to everlasting I am God. He didn't become God, he's always been God. So, and then the Jehovah's Witnesses teach Jesus is not God, he's simply a creature. He's Superman, but he's still not eternal. So again, you wanna, you wanna maintain what the Bible teaches, Jesus said that his, Jesus' last words on earth, Go ye therefore baptizing them in the name singular of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay. You mentioned the Mormons on a previous show and talked about anybody can become a God. Mm -hmm. But isn't God a masculine thing? Well, you know, I, I, we believe in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I, oh, you're talking about in Mormonism? I th I'd have to check this, Jackie. I think it used to be that only men could become God in Mormonism. <laughs> Okay. If I remember right. But right. yeah, there you go. Okay. Why couldn't God have simply forgiven everyone? Why did Jesus need to die first? Yeah, I think that's a powerful question. Why didn't Jesus just float down from heaven and say, you know, everybody, I don't need to be born in a manger. I don't need to be, become human or die on the cross. I just forgive everybody. None of this stuff about me having to die. We just forgive you and float back up. The reason God couldn't do that is because of that story about the king. The king had to uphold the law, his righteousness. God had to punish sin or he wouldn't be a holy God. So the reason Jesus had to die and be punished before God could forgive us is because God's a holy law, a holy God, and he can't wink at sin. He has to punish it. And it had to be through the son. Y yes, or through, I mean, here's the deal. I have a dear loved one who goes to a very liberal church, and she said to me a while ago, I don't believe Jesus' death was the sacrifice for our sins. And she said a lot of bad things to me in my life. That's the worst thing she's ever said. And I said to her, then you won't be saved. Because if you reject Jesus as the sacrifice for your sins, you're gonna have to become the sacrifice for your sins. It's called hell for eternity. So yeah, you have to have Christ as your sacrifice, or you're the sacrifice. Okay, Pastor Brock, the Bible talks about propitiation. Yeah, it's a big I always word. have trouble saying mm -hmm. that word. But can you explain propitiation? Yeah. I think it, I, I would encourage everyone watching this slowly and carefully, and maybe get some good Bible commentaries with you, read through Romans chapter 3, where all of this redemption is really explained. The word propitiate means to turn away wrath. Let's say that your uh, husband Fred did something that really made you mad, Jackie, and then he shows up at the door with flowers. He's trying to propitiate you. <laughs> He's trying to turn away your wrath. What Jesus did on the cross was he was turning away God's wrath. You and I deserve God's wrath and anger because he's a holy God. Jesus slips in between you and I and God and he takes the wrath of God. He takes the punishments of God to turn away God's wrath from us so God can forgive us and save us. Did people know when they 
crucified Christ, who he really was? I think most people didn't. That, which, that's why Jesus said, forgive them, for they not know, know not what they are doing. I don't even think the disciples quite understood who Jesus was. They knew he was the Christ, because Peter said, you are the Christ. But did the disciples understand that God was being crucified on the cross? I don't think so. I don't think that occurred to, until Thomas says, after the resurrection, to Jesus, my Lord and my God. I think that's kind of when the light bulb went on. So they, too, did not know that this was God's... They, they, they would have said, I think the disciples before the resurrection would have said, yes, he's the Messiah. He's the one sent to save us. They would have known that much. Did they understood he was God in the flesh? Well, they'd seen the miracles, and they knew he was the Son of God in a sense. But in the full sense, I don't think they knew it, I'm guessing now, till after the resurrection. Okay, when we talk about one's adoption as a child of God, can you lose your adoption? You know, this is the big question called eternal security. And let me just quickly give you the views in the church on this. A lot of people believe, a lot of Christians in America believe in free will, and you decide whether you're saved or not by what you do with your free will. You can choose Christ or reject Christ, but it's all up to you. There are other people who are Lutherans, and this tends to be the Lutheran view, uh, that if you're saved, it's not because you had free will, because we don't have free will. We're all born sinners. It's only when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes that you get saved. So it's not you that did that. It's the Holy Spirit. But then there are people called Calvinists, and they believe if you're saved, it's because God chose to save you. And if you're damned, they would even say it's because God chose to damn you from eternity in election or, or predestination. I, I, I know I'm at least on the Lutheran view and maybe even the Calvinist view, but the Calvinists hold to that once God really truly saves a person, they can never lose it because he keeps them saved. And there's some truth to that. I mean, Jackie, you, I don't know when you were saved, but I was saved maybe, I was saved real young, but it's God who's been keeping me a Christian all these years, not Tom Brock, because mm -hmm. I'm weak and I'd lose it. So I think there's truth that God is the one who keeps you saved. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, He, God who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion. But there's enough in the Bible that talks about falling away that I think this is a hard... I'm not exactly sure what I believe on this one. Okay. Well... Can God unadopt you then and like kick you out of his yeah, family I, once you're I, a Christian? A lot of Christians believe that you can, once you're truly saved, lose it and fall away. And a lot of Christians believe that. I tend to lean toward more Calvinism that God not only saved me, he's keeping me saved and he will keep me saved. Well, th then you would say, well, what about the people that sure looked like they were Christians than me and now they're not? Well, the Calvinists would say they were never really converted to begin with. Some of this to me, again though, the Bible does talk about falling away, and some of this is not so easy. So I think, I think the, put, the best I can tell you is if you're trusting in Christ, you're eternally secure. If you start living in sin and doubting Christ, there are verses that should scare you into going back to the Lord. When people do fall away though, Pastor Brock, I mean, and it, it would be hard to come back. Mm -hmm. You've lost well, that redemption that Christ paid for. There's Hebrews you? chapter 6 that says, if somebody falls away, it is impossible to restore them to repentance. That's, those are sobering verses. Very sobering. Yeah, very sobering. Now, we can't restore them to repentance. God can. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, and I don't know what to do with this, and I don't want to base things on human experience, but I have people that really fell away, and it does look like they've really come back. So 
you know, some of this stuff is confusing. The clear thing in Scripture, believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. So I wouldn't play with this. When you see somebody who has fallen away, what's your duty as a Christian to that person? I think, our number one, we pray for that person. And number two, if it seems right, you have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with them. And sometimes, especially if they're in your family, the last, I mean, there are certain family members in my family, the last person they're going to listen to on earth is me. So I pray, God, send them somebody else because they haven't listened to me. So prayer is huge. And if the Lord nudges you, you have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with them. So if somebody doesn't know God in that, they have no chance for redemption or adoption. You mean if they've never heard about God? Is right. that what you mean? I would say this. According to uh, Romans chapter t 1, everybody knows there's a God. Deep down, because of creation, everybody knows somebody made this universe. And then it gets a little hairier. In Romans chapter 2, Paul says, God has written his heart on every, his law on every man's heart. So the people in deep dark Africa, they might not know about Jesus, but they know right and wrong, and we've all broken the law of God on our hearts. So we all know there's a God, we all know we've sinned, which is why we need to get the gospel of Christ all over the world. Yeah. So Pastor Brock, what's been happening with your ministry yeah. since we've started off here. Great, everybody. Thank you, Jackie. I, I will tell everybody, if you go to our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, pastorsstudy.org, you can watch this TV show on our website. We also have series, like an eight-part series on the parables, a four-part series on the Lord's Prayer, a four-part series on the Apostles' Creed, and people can, can go to our website and, and order our, our, our DVDs. And I would ask our people, to, uh, our listeners, to pray for us. We're hoping to go on a national network, which is pricey. So if the Lord uh, leads you to support our ministry in any way, you go to pastorstudy.org. There's a way you can uh, do that on the, on the website, or there's an address at the end of the show. But we would ask for your prayers, and if the Lord led you to, lead you to support us, we'd love that too. It's kind of exciting. It's possible we're going to go into 80 million homes now instead of just the Minneapolis area. So pray. <laughs> And Pastor Brock, are you available to speak for other yes, people's yeah. now, uh, churches or yeah. organizations? My, my ministry now is this television ministry. And so I've had ca churches call me. And again, uh, pastorstudy.org, go there and, or watch the end of the show. There's a phone number and you can call me and I can come out and speak at your church or your event, that kind of thing. Okay, well, we want to thank you for being a part of this ministry because it's you who send in some of our questions that we use at the end of the program. And when we run into people who watch this show, you always are so gracious to us that we really appreciate it. Um, we pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. So have a good week. Thank you for tuning in to the Pastor Study. We ask, would you pray for our ministry as we seek to spread the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ? And would you pray about supporting this ministry? Our address is The Pastor Study, 5200 Emerson Avenue North, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55430. Our website is pastorstudy.org. And our phone number is 515-605-5555.
763-260-4484. May God richly bless you and join us next week at the same time as we study God's Word. Until then, may the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you.